everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now, there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet, with faster speeds rolling out every day. And internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. So, while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement, while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next-generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Well, there's nothing like the warmth and comfort of a glowing fire, especially this time of year. What is it about making and warming ourselves with a wood-burning flame that's so satisfying? And how can we better master the art of fire making? Well, my guest today has published a book that's become a cult classic in Scandinavia, and it's all about wood and fire. His name is Lars Mitting, and his book is Norwegian Wood, Chopping, Stacking, and Drying Wood, the Scandinavian Way. And today on the show, Lars and I discuss the pleasures of preparing wood for fire and why firewood is an important part of a man's identity in Scandinavian countries. And then we get into the practicalities of making just a, a warm fire. Uh, we talk about the best kind of wood for fires, how to fell trees for firewood, how to season your wood for optimal fire building, and the best time to split wood. And then we talk about how to build a fire the Scandinavian way that will just burn clean and hot for you. This show is both philosophical and practical, and it will leave you wanting to build the best fireplace fire of your life when you're done listening. After the show's over, check out the show notes at awim.is slash wood, where you find links to resources where you can delve deeper in this topic, as well as learn how to build a Scandinavian fire. Uh, so you're the author of a book that I really enjoyed reading. It's uh, Norwegian Wood. Uh, it's all about firewood and the yes. importance of firewood in Scandinavian culture. And I, I remember hearing on an interview you did somewhere else that this was a book that almost didn't get published, but it's become this big bestseller in Scandinavia. Why do you think a book about firewood, uh, something so simple, has resonated with so many people? Well, I think the key to it is that it essentially is very simple. And when something is uh, simple, uh, it generally has a <laughs> huge appeal, but it, but it's hard to, to uh, observe what is really simple. It's often the, the things that strike you as something, well, very simple or down to earth is often the things that go unnoticed. So uh, if you look into this, in essence, fire is mankind's oldest energy and, and something that has been a great part of all cultures around the world. So uh, that is one part of the answer, really, that it uh, deep inside, it uh, affects us all. And I mean, I guess it's particularly important for individuals living in Scandinavia because 
it's bitterly cold there. We were just talking on air that it's some negative 37 degrees Celsius where you're at. Um, yeah. And so like firewood is, I mean, that's how you all keep yourselves warm. Well, that's a question. Like why is Scandinavia still reliant on firewood despite advances in heating sources like electricity or natural gas? We all rely heavily on electricity. And I think it's fair to say that the, uh, uh, most of the houses uh, use a, electric oven for uh, a lot of the heating but in the cold periods nothing beats the uh, firewood stove because um, it, it really is not only the uh, say the sense of, of hot air that's to it it's so much more that goes into the experience of heating with wood that it uh, stimulates a lot of other senses as well and uh, just to mention a few, it's the it's, it's the simple fact that you can survive and uh, heat your house with something organic that you have collected yourself and where that carries the marks of your own labor. And it's a deeply, deeply, uh, well, a, a deep sense of well-being connected to that, I'd say. So th that's one of the explanations. Uh, another one is also that it's a renewable green energy. Uh, it has its sights on pollution, which we will come to, I guess. But uh, it's probably the simplest form of energy there is, and uh, also a great renewable source. Right, trees can grow again. Well, I thought this was interesting. You talked in uh, the book about the. Um, how much pollution wood burning goes off? Because I remember hearing growing up, well, like, the reason why people don't really burn uh, fires in fireplaces anymore is it gave off too much pollution. There was too much soot. Um, and so we have these cleaner sources of energy. But you argue that, no, wood burning is actually not as, it's it's pretty clean. Yes, and and it can it can be surprisingly clean. And it can also be surprisingly dirty. It all depends on the stove you have and all, also the methods that, that you use. And uh, one of the great <clears throat> things, I think, as a Norwegian, uh, is that we, um, we have had a lot of scientific research on uh, how to make stoves that uh, burn as cleanly as possible. Uh, so uh, I think we are in a good position to um, to develop uh, such a technology because we have we are we have um, <clears throat> sorry <clears throat> we have a population that that spends a lot of money in into their houses. Nearly all Norwegians own their own houses, uh, and we are quite interested in uh, everything <laughs> high tech. And at the same time, we live in a cold country and we have a lot of forests. So that are the key elements to it. But the um, the book describes a lot of methods to uh, to burn firewood so that there is no smoke visible at all from the chimney. And th that is really the, uh, uh, the, the target here, to burn so cleanly that you cannot see any smoke or any um, awful smell <laughs> from it and uh, and that is completely possible and we'll get to those methods uh, in a bit here because it's it's very interesting uh, even if you for us in america if you don't have a stove 
some of the tips here uh, can help you build a great fireplace fire. Um, but I, you also talk about the philosophy of firewood. Scandinavians get very self- philosophical about their firewood. Um, for example, there's a bit where y- you talk about um, how Scandinavian women, sort of a traditional uh, idea is for Scandinavian women to judge a man on the quality of a husband he'll be by looking at his wood pile. Yeah. <laughs> that is also actually a a thing that I've uh, that I've seen in uh, in uh, the state of Maine nearly or nearly exactly the same observations uh, but uh, yes there is a lot of say, lore connected and folklore uh, connected to this and a lot of it is obviously of uh, on, on on how your wood pile looks like and and it's quite easy to uh, to discern the lazy and uh, the ambitious man <laughs> just by looking at a wood pile uh, you will often see say the more um, the, the type who likes to show off will like to build a very tall pile which is clearly visible from the road uh, but all too often he may become uh, well the the pile will simply fall down <laughs> because he's become foolhardy and built too too tall and uh, on the other hand you have the the piles that uh, tells the tale of someone who is either lazy or just cannot uh, well follow up on his own ambitions so you see piles with uh, moldy wood in which has been on the ground too long and uh, quite imperfect uh, uh, stacks there so so that type is easy to uh, to recognize but you also have the completely obsessed type which is uh, someone i would uh, warn strongly against <laughs> as a husband which has these very pedantic piles with uh, looks almost like you've used uh, well strict mathematics to um, to get the, the the pile as perfect as possible that that's probably a sign of someone with <laughs> a little too little connection to the real world right right and uh, you also highlight this um this phenomenon in in, in Scandin- Scandinavian countries of uh for men to go through what they call a wood age. Yeah, that's right. That, that's a quite uh, quite common uh, description here, actually. Uh, usually about elder people, men around uh, seventy years, when they when they come into the wood age. The um, and uh, but, but but in my book I describe the first wood age and the second one. And um, to the, the first wood age actually starts in around 35 to 40 years, which is when generally most of us uh, have a family and children. So I, I think it, j- just that, having children so, <laughs> sort of stimulates the um, the urge to, uh, to go on and bring heat to your family, which is, when you look at it, a very, very central element of the, uh, of the firewood culture here. And that has to do with, you know, the, the man's position in the family. And uh, you may fail at a lot of things in life, but the pleasure you have in seeing your family and children getting warm 
on something you've done yourself, that, that is deeply satisfying. But the, <clears throat> when speaking of the, of the coming of the second good age, when you become an old man, it's more connected to uh, the feeling that uh, you don't have any proper visible work to do anymore. And uh, a lot of older men wants to have, well, to be of use for their family. But uh, there are few areas where they really can do something that is uh, to use for the others every day. But but firewood is such a thing. And uh, a lot of older men who uh, chops wood, not just for themselves, but also for, uh, well, the greater part of the family. Well, and I thought it was very touching how you began the book. You talk about an elderly neighbor of yours that sort of kick-started this whole exploration of firewood, who he was in really bad shape, um, had health problems, but when springtime came and it was time to split and stack wood, he got out there and he started doing it, uh, even though it was very hard, laborious work, but he, he felt like he had to do it to provide wood for his wife. Hmm. Yeah, and the um, there are... There are other mechanisms to him, to, to that story as well. He, he's my, well, he, he used to be my neighbor here. And, and one of the things was that I think he sort of told his body that we will endure another year. He was quite sick and the easy thing for him would just be to lay down and, uh, well, let the disease take him. But, but he didn't. He went out and he, through that work, which essentially was a, preparation for winter. I think he simply told his body that we're going to go on, we're going to make it one more winter. And the um, at, at the end of the book, uh, he essentially lays, he's building his last wood pile. And he understands also that this wood pile will survive me, but my, the memory of my labor will still be in it. So the, the last scene of the book is uh, of his widow when she uh, heats throughout the winter on uh, on the wood that he made. Yeah, that was a, a really, really touching uh, story. Uh, it made yeah. me tear up when I was reading it. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it, it touches so, so many, so, so many of this uh, Iron Age uh, uh, reflexes in us. This just being connected to fire, which is the age age old element it i think it stirs a lot of strings in us and one of them you know i have uh, i have two daughters they're 14 years old and i uh, there's a so sort of sorrow to my life <laughs> as a man that uh, i am um, well you know with teenage girl as a man i i feel i become less relevant in a lot of their daily th business uh, but I know that a few things that I managed to hand down is something that they will do when they grow up and teach their own children. For example, building a campfire outdoors. And um, I believe there can, can be, well, no more basic thing and uh, nothing more connected to, you know, survival and life itself than handing down the knowledge on how to build a fire. So one of my wishes is that they will hand it down to them, their children and say that, well, my dad, 
my dad taught me this. I love that. Um, so let's get into the uh, the specifics of fire building because there's a lot of practical knowledge uh, that yeah. you, you put in the book. So let's start with in that the whole goal is to get that very clean burning fire that has little or no smoke. Uh, mm -hmm. So let's start with the wood itself. Are, are certain trees better for firewood than others, or do certain trees provide more smoke and soot? The book goes into great lengths in uh, looking at the, the properties of, uh, of various woods. But the odd thing is that nearly any tree in the world will, will, in the world will burn, and nearly anything, any tree will give a satisfying fire. But the big difference is, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> sorry, the big difference is uh, the density of the wood. And in most cultures, especially in cold countries, uh, like in say northern parts of uh, the U.S. And, uh, and and Canada, and also in Norway, all the hardwoods has been favored because it's uh, the philosophy of the. Uh, well, of the really cold old past with drafty houses and uh, very strong winters. And for that purpose, nothing can beat very dense wood like uh, hickory, like uh, oak and, and beech. Um, but the, uh, in, in a modern situation, very often these, uh, these very dense hardwoods simply burn too hot to be used in a well-insulated house. So one of the things that uh, I like with, uh, the, um, <clears throat> with, with that part of the book is that it describes how you can use uh, what, what many would consider inferior uh, wood, like aspen or spruce, which is quite dense and which has, uh, among many, been regarded as quite, quite poor firewood. But it is, in fact, perfect to use uh, lighter woods for uh, the, the periods of the year when it's not so cold, like uh, late autumn or early, early spring. And also, most fires will benefit from uh, being burnt with um, two different uh, types of wood in the stove at the same time, because they have different combustion um, characteristics. So you may burn one log of oak together with two logs of aspen, and as a result, have a very clean and intense fire without the house getting too hot. And so uh, let's talk about uh, you know the the whole process. You talk about because like in, in in Scandinavian countries, people buy wood pellets and some people buy their own firewood, but a lot of people cut their own trees down or fell a tree. I've I've. In, I, in Vermont, uh, I've had some family there, and I've had the opportunity to fell trees for, for wood, maple trees. Mm -hmm. Really fun to do. Yeah. What I thought was the, really interesting was you talk about the best time to fell a tree. We fell these trees in summertime. Mm -hmm. You argue, like, that's not the best time to fell it. When is the best time to fell trees for firewood? Well, we are quite... Uh, strict on that here in Norway that we, uh, we if it's possible we like to do it in um, in late winter or very early spring uh, simply because the um, for leaf uh, the trees are naked 
at the time. And the snowy ground is perfect and clean to, to work on. And also frozen ground makes it easier both uh, to hold the wood on the ground and um, and also to, to split it because all surfaces are very hard uh, and clean. Uh, but, but the key factor to this is that the, um, the drying time of the wood uh, is, uh, well, for most of the um, inner part of the northern hemisphere, the driest months are in, uh, in spring. So if you are ready with the, the wood uh, in, when the snow is melting, you have the whole period of spring, summer and autumn uh, for it to dry. So the, the, the custom here is in Norway is to cut down the wood and give it uh, one season to, uh, to dry and then use it the next winter. In, in many cultures, th this is considered way too short. And uh, a lot of cultures, especially those who favor oak, uh, uh, say that uh, it will need at least two but. Uh, three and four years of seasoning will will be good, but the but you will often be quite amazed, really, on how quickly firewood will will dry if it's uh, if you give it proper drying conditions. So I think yeah, I think the the key to men, to to a lot of these tales of firewood needing two or three years to to dry is simply that they've. Um, they come from a worst case scenario where uh, people haven't been haven't given firewood uh, so the um, the proper conditions to dry. Yeah, and that was a, a really interesting point you brought home too. Was that uh, if even if like the wood isn't dry in two or three years, it's probably not going to get dry. Like it has to dry pretty quickly in order yeah. for the wood to actually be dry. Yeah, that, that makes for the best quality. And uh, it shouldn't be confused with the drying process for building materials, uh, building materials, where, where the aim is to dry it quite slowly so that it doesn't crack. I think firewood becomes is, is the best when it has uh, been drying as quickly as possible. And, uh, and the key element to that is to... Um, is to place it at, at a place with um, very, very good ventilation. Ideally, if you can give it both sun and wind, you will have uh, very good conditions for it. But if you have to choose between them, always choose wind, because it, uh, it wind and good ventilation will dry the surface uh, of the wood and, um, and, and speed up the process greatly. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with a thoroughly modern design. The exterior has been reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Durability has been tested to the extreme, cargo capacity means more room for your gear, and there's been powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system that keeps you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering, and the Defender is ready for a wide range of adventures. The Defender family features two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. 
push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. That's LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. All right, so if you're like me, you've probably signed up for a whole bunch of stuff that has a recurring monthly fee. Subscriptions to newsletters, subscriptions to services that you use online, uh, could be a streaming service, something like that. You sign up for it and then you forget about it. And then every month you're getting charged and charged and charged and they just all add up and you have a hard time trying to figure out where did I sign up for this? I don't know where this is coming from. Let me tell you, there's an app that can help you with that. It's called Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I had a chance to use Rocket Money and it works. You connect your account to it and then it goes through your accounts and helps you find those recurring subscription fees that maybe you forgot about and then you can cancel them and save yourself a bit of money each month. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com manliness. That's rocketmoney.com slash manliness, rocketmoney.com slash manliness. If you're like my family, we're getting to the busy part of the year. Spring sports are happening, a lot of after-school activities. So sometimes planning and cooking dinner, just don't have time for that. That's where Factor Meals comes in. With Factor, you get fresh, never-frozen meals that are chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. With Factor, you get restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. No prepping, no cooking, no cleanup needed. It's also less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian-approved to be nutritious and delicious. So we've been using Factor meals in the McKay household for a while now. There's a lot of reasons why we like them. First off, the food tastes great. Last week, I had creamy pesto pork chop with spinach, cauliflower, rice, roasted green beans. Tasted fantastic. But the big selling point, it's easy. There's no cooking. There's no cleaning up. It's great for those nights when you're busy and you don't have much time. Uh, to to take care of dinner and you don't want to do takeout because you feel gross after takeout. If you'd like to try Factor Meals, head to factormeals.com slash manliness50 and use code manliness50 to get 50% off. That's code manliness50 at factormeals.com slash manliness50 to get 50% off. Check it out today and make sure to check out the creamy pesto pork chop. It's really good. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently I went through the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss, a lot of useful information in there, talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. And do people, uh, as soon as they, typically in Scandinavia or Nor- uh, Norway, do they do they split the logs as soon as they fell the tree? Or do they, yeah. yeah. That, that's quite a difference also between many other countries. If you go further south in Europe, like in the, uh, like in, in France, uh, Netherlands, you will often see that they, 
just cut the logs and then wait with the splitting until uh, the fire is to be used. But the tradition here is uh, very clear to split it as quickly as possible, simply because it dries uh, much better then and it's ready for use. So the, um, and the other part of that is that if you can split the wood while it's really cold, uh, it splits much easier. If you, uh, m many people experience that it's uh, dead hard work to, <laughs> to split the <laughs> wood with an axe. And, and the book goes in great lengths of describing, well, techniques to make it easier. But, but, but the one thing to observe is that if, uh, if you cut down a tree and you leave it in, um, uh, for one or two months in spring or summer, uh, it will become much, much harder to split simply because the, um, the fibers inside, they, they create a sort of a, a Velcro uh, effect that uh, ad adheres the fibers much stronger to each other. So if you cut it and split it when it's fresh, and if you can, while it's really cold, it will split with uh, just one third of the effort that you need with uh, uh, if, if you wait until summer. Yeah, that's great advice. I've always split wood like in the summer and it is dead hard work. Yeah. If it's, if it's fresh, then you have a chance. But if it's been drying just one or two months, it's a whole different, uh, wholly different game. Yeah. And we'll talk a little bit more about splitting wood here in a bit. But so let's say uh, someone who's listening, they're not going to um, chop down their own trees or split their own wood, but they're going to go buy firewood. The mm -hmm. thing I've always had trouble with when buying firewood is like the wood says it's seasoned. Yeah, <laughs> but then you put it in the fireplace, and it's just like it's just smoke. That's all. Yeah. It is. So how can you tell when you're buying firewood that firewood is actually is actually dry and seasoned? The best method. It's it's a bit scientific and boring, really. But that is to take one of the logs from if you buy it in in a pile, take one of the logs in the middle, and bring an axe and split it in two. And then use a humidity meter, one of the digital types. Um, they don't they don't cost more than about uh, 10 to 20 dollars i think uh, but uh, that will give you a very clear idea of it but but you need to split the wood uh, first uh, because uh, the moisture can be trapped in inside the log so so th that that's one trick and it gives you a very good figure of uh, how it is but you will also uh, with some experience you can beat two logs um, uh, to get together, and if it's if it's not not dry, the sound will be more muffled and and dead. Uh, while two completely dry logs will give a very thin, hard tone, which is quite easy to discern. Uh, but but the fun trick, which I really enjoy, <laughs> is to use um, dishwasher liquid. And this doesn't work on all uh, types of wood, but it works brilliantly on uh, leaf trees like uh, birch. And the trick is to uh, to put some dishwasher dish, dishwasher liquid. Too many s's here for a Norwegian, <laughs> but on one end and and blow through the other. And and this may sound like it's a complete fairy tale, but it's actually possible to blow through the whole log. 
and so that uh, bubbles appear in the other end. <laughs> uh, but uh, that doesn't happen if the wood is fresh. If it's completely dry, then it will work because the, uh, all the cells through the wood has been op opened up. So that, that's one of the, uh, well, great party tricks that I like to uh, advise anyone interested in this. Try the dishwasher <laughs> trick. I'm, I'm going to try the next time I buy firewood. And the yeah. guy tell, tells me, it's been, oh, it's been seasoned for two years. And I'm like, I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't. And, and the other tip, too, you, you advise in the book is like, don't buy dirty wood. Like no. covered in mud or dirt. No, we, we started, uh, we, we touched that subject um, a while ago. But the but the uh, the thing is that if wood has been left on the ground and um, and started to uh, to uh, well well not been given given proper uh, drying conditions, it it may start to form. A, a type of mold and bacteria inside and when it's dirty it's a uh, it's a quite clear sign that uh, it's been lying on the ground for some time and for some types of wood especially birch you may experience a very strange phenomena that um, that it never dries at all <laughs> and what, what has happened then is that the wood has started to um, uh, well, mold and bacteria has started to grow and eat the tree from the inside. And that process actually produces moisture. So it will never be dry, no matter how long time you, you give it. And the, um, the native Norwegians, the, the Sami people, they, they actually have a word for that uh, um, phenomenon. And it's called the shashallo which means uh, dry wood that ne will never be dry. <laughs> All right, so so and, and, to, and to them, to, to the native people of, of the north, they, they know if there are some experts here, they are the re real one. <laughs> right. They know how to uh, well make a campfire in uh, the strongest of winds and the most fiercest conditions. So I've picked up one or two tricks from them, yes. <laughs> um. So let's talk about splitting wood. We talked, it, it's dead hard work. You should probably do it in the wintertime, early spring, where it's easier to split. Yeah. But even though it's dead hard work, like, people really enjoy splitting wood. Um, yeah. No matter, I mean, it's just, I mean, what do you think it is about the, the task that, that makes it so enjoyable, even though it's physically laborious? Yeah, it's, I think, because it's, if there is one really magic moment in this uh, work, it's the part when the axe hits the wood and it's being split, which takes about one-tenth of a second. Uh, but that is the, the moment where it be goes from having been a part of the tree to becoming a log of firewood, if you understand what I mean. The, in that split second, it's uh, it's a twofold joke there. The split second, but <laughs> the but in, in that moment, it goes from just being a well round trunk and it becomes firewood. So and somehow it's um, it's like working on an assembly line, but it's different all the time. So so it's. Um, 
you know, it's monotonous work, but it never gets boring somehow. So, and and you feel the effect of, of your work and you see the result of it. Uh, it grows minute by minute. And the, um, I think, well, that's a great satisfaction. That's also a, quite a contrast to, to many other things of a, of a uh, modern life. Because in so many aspects of, of a working life, you can always in, improve on things. I mean, if, if you work in an in a office or if you work with something creative, you, you can always do things better and you can respond to emails late at night and you can always, you know, go on with the struggle to make things better and better. But with this simple process, it's done. It cannot be improved. You've split it and then it's perfect, even if it's not perfect. <laughs> it, it gives this enormous sense of uh, well, peace of mind that you, you, you cannot improve it. It's done. It's perfect. And when you do this work, all the frustrations from the day go into the firewood and you know that they will go later into the stove. And the wonderful thing is to burn those logs who's been really troublesome and uh, simply wouldn't split. They too must give in when you throw them in the stove. <laughs> do, do you really remember those troublesome logs? Oh yeah, I recognize them. Yes, yes. I, when I work my way, say in reverse, I I sort of go fold back month for month the the, the labor I had the previous winter, and and I recognize those uh, I, those logs that just wouldn't split and the the strange ones, or perhaps the one from a uh, quite uh, rare sort of tree. Um, these days, I'm actually burning a um, a tree that I had to cut down from an, a neighbor of mine, an elderly woman who had a big uh, apple tree, and it's uh, it's it's fun really because it reminds us of the <laughs> situation when we did that work, and uh, it's uh, very very good firewood. <laughs> so it, it's almost like when you look at the wood pile, it's almost like you're looking at some geological uh, geologic layers of your own uh, own of your own labor <laughs> yeah Not, yeah well too romantically in, into it but it reminds you of the work you put down yeah i can totally see that i can totally get that yeah um so let's talk we talked about stacking wood um ideally you want it you want wind and sun but if you're going to choose mm. one choose wind yeah um so let's talk about building a fire we've cut our tree, we've split the wood, we've dried it. What's the ideal way to build a fire that will get, that will just burn hot and clean and won't fill your house up with smoke? Mm. The, the essence to it is to make sure that you have as dry firewood as absolutely possible. And many people say that uh, firewood shouldn't be too dry and that it has a optimum uh, humidity. Um, uh, that it should have some humidity, but I've I've never found any proof uh, that uh, that is of any benefit. So so my advice through a lot of research is to have it as dry as as possible. Uh, and the interesting key element to building a fire is to know the, exactly what is burning, and uh, it may surprise some to know that. Smoke is not 
some exhaust like you have from a from a car. Uh, the smoke itself is the uh, is the energy that we want to burn. Uh, so when you see smoke, you actually see com uh, some gases that that you want to burn. <laughs> and when if if smoke comes from a house, it's about the, it's wasted energy. It's, it's about the same as petrol leaking from a, from a car. Uh, so the key thing to observe is to um, is to to know how the um, how, how the the firewood behaves. And the first uh, step when, when burning wood is the um, is the gas stage where the uh, where the heat. Uh, brings out all the gases from from the log, and when you see a flame, what, what you see is uh, actually smoke burning. Uh, and when the log is um, has run out of of gas, it goes into the um, into the, uh, the, um, the the ember stage where the embers are glowing, and that is the remaining part of the log, the carbon. Uh, so. Uh, to to make to make a successful fire, you should know the the, the basics of this uh, combustion process, and I, and I describe it in detail in the book. But the and the other thing is, uh, to many people's surprise, is that the optimum way of burning a fire is when starting a fire is to burn it from the top and down, <laughs> and that I, I think that's probably contrary to. Uh, what what you have learned, perhaps? Right. Yeah, I was taught. You know, you start off with the kindling and the tinder, and then you add the fuel logs afterwards. But you're saying you want to put. Yeah, and the <clears throat> there are two good reasons for that because we uh, the generation before us and uh, all of those earlier on they you they were used to um, either open fireplaces or um, closed box uh, stoves but for the modern clean burn stove and uh, it's uh, and, and also for outdoor fires it's actually better to start the the fire by building a base of logs in the in the bottom of the stove or in the on the ground if you're outdoors and then make a small fire on top of that because the uh, w what happens is that uh, smoke or gas will come out from the logs underneath and they will uh, obviously go up into the air but by having uh, uh, having the, the fire on top of the logs the smoke that goes out will uh, will catch fire so instead of releasing pollution, you just burn the pollution and turn it into heat. And uh, it's described uh, a method in the book which uh, has been, I'm, I'm proud to say that it's uh, been met with really great enthusiasm, both by outdoor people and uh, also people who had trouble lighting a fire with, with uh, uh, difficult stoves. So, so that that's really one of the great things I I like with the book that it brought forward that method. Yeah, well, Lars, this has been a great conversation. Uh, is there some place people can go to learn more about your work? You know, the book has after the, the publication, it's been especially in Europe, it became quite a lot of a phenomenon. Really, I've uh, 
described a bit of it on uh, on my website, uh, which is in Norwegian, so <laughs> people have to <laughs> work their way through it. But the um, no, the nearly all I know and what I've learned after the publication is actually um, uh, gathered in in the U.S. edition of the book, which was uh, because after the Norwegian publication, I had a lot of feedback and uh, positive reactions from readers. Um, and I made, for the US edition, I made a revised and expanded editions where I integrated all the new knowledge that I had. So uh, basically all I know is <laughs> is in the book. Lars <laughs> Midding, thanks so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. All right, thank you. Thank you. My guess is Lars Mitting. His book is Norwegian Wood, Chopping, Stacking, and Drying Wood the Scandinavian Way. It's available on Amazon.com. Go check it out. It's a really good read. A lot of philosophical tidbits about the wonders and pleasures of fire, but also a lot of jam-packed with practical information on how to build better fires to warm yourself. Uh, also check out our show notes at aom.is slash wood, where you find links to resources to, to delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. Our show is edited by Creative Audio Lab here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. If you have any audio editing needs or audio production needs, check them out at creativeaudiolab.com. We appreciate your reviews on iTunes or Stitcher. It really helps us out a lot. So if you could just take a minute, please go do that. As always, thank you for your continued support. And until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation.